If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and also if you would go ahead and find Genesis chapter 2, that would help later on in the context of the message. 1 Samuel chapter 1, I want to bring a message this morning entitled, uh, From Grief to Glory, One Mother's Journey of Faith and Prayer. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and let's read the chapter in its entirety. Verse 1 says, There was a certain man of uh, Ramathiam Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was standing on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking about uh, of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. 
Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli and she said, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he's lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Father, we thank you for this great story tucked away inside the pages of the Old Testament. The story of a devoted woman who desired nothing more than to be a mother, a godly mother with a godly son. Lord, we thank you for the principles that we learn in this text. We pray that in the context of the message, we would apply them to our hearts. That your Holy Spirit would be at work in us. Lord, we thank you for ladies. We thank you for our mothers. And we honor them today for their tireless efforts and sacrifices they've made in our behalf. That we might have the things that we need for life. We pray that today that they would know that we honor them. And Father, I pray for that woman here today who may not as of yet have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That you would move on her heart today and do your special work of redemption that only you can bring about. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On Sunday mornings recently, we have been studying in the book of Judges. It's been a sordid tale of adultery, prostitution, murder, conspiracy, and idolatry. Instead of being a part of Israel's history, you would almost think that Hollywood was producing its next R-rated movie or something worse. Folks, even the priesthood, as we see from the initial part of 1 Samuel, had become corrupt under Eli's sons. And over and over again in the book of uh, Judges, we read that very disturbing phrase that there was no king in that day and everybody did what was simply right in their own eyes. You read the book of Judges and you begin to ask yourself, when is all of this going to come to an end? And how is it all going to end? Well, I want to say today that we're going to see the answer to that question. Now, immediately following the time of the Judges, God raises up a prophet who himself serves as a type of judge also. His name is Samuel. With Samuel, we're told that the word of the Lord once again came to Israel. You see, it's as though God had been silent during that period of the time of Judges when so much corruption was going on. Sin had hindered the people from being able to hear a word from God. 
But with the birth of Samuel, the people once again started hearing from God. And so Samuel was a judge and also a prophet. But also Samuel has the distinction of being known as Israel's kingmaker. You'll recall Israel asked for a king so they could be like the nations around them. And God decided he was going to grant that request. And and so uh, he told Samuel that he was to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. Now you'll recall that Saul was the people's choice. He was the people's choice because when they... When they looked at the mass of humanity and all of those that could be king, they noticed that he was a head taller than all of the rest and he was a very handsome young man. And so they concluded this must be God's man. And Samuel anointed him. Again, he was the people's choice. But he turned out to be such a miserable failure and such a disappointment as he rebelled against God. And so God removed the kingship away from Saul and was going to give it to another. And we know who that other one was. It was King David. Now David was God's choice. God's choice. And Samuel anointed him as well. So again, Samuel has the distinction of being known in Israel's history as their kingmaker. Now folks, I tell you all of this for two reasons. First, I want you to understand the strong linkage between what we're going to talk about this morning and what we've been going over the past 10 or 12 weeks or so in the book of Judges. But secondly, for our purposes today, I want you to see what got the ball rolling, so to speak, on this revival that occurred under Samuel. It wasn't simply another defeat of Israel's enemies. It was a woman. A woman who desired nothing more in life than to be the mother of a son who had turned the nation around. And so it wasn't an army, it was a woman, a mother. A new more blessed chapter was about to begin in Israel and it was about to begin in a woman's heart. Now folks, isn't that wonderful? Mothers make our lives richer and mothers make the nation better. Abraham Lincoln once said, No one who grows up with a loving mother can ever say that they have been raised in poverty. And how true that is. That's not an exaggeration. Now this past week we've just passed a very important marriage amendment in the state. Now we all know that biblically marriage is between a a, a man and a woman. Now folks if we can't agree that that's the biblical standard for marriage then we've got bigger problems. I think of the president's statement this week, and this is not a political statement because there are people of every stripe that feel this way. He's just given voice to it this week. He said that, you know, he's come out standing for for, uh, same-sex marriage. Now, at the same time, he says that he is a follower of Jesus Christ. Folks, this is one of the disturbing things we're seeing in modernism today. In the the postmodern church. 
how people can claim that they are a follower of Christ. Not just a uh, 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 follower of Christ and then come to conclusions, not just in this area, but in any area of life. They can come to a conclusion that is the exact opposite of what God says in His Word. Do we not see an incongruity in that, an inconsistency in that? To say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. I follow Him. I pledge my allegiance to Him. And then we come to conclusions that are different than what Jesus said. Reminds me of how He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do the things that I say. So marriage is honorable. Marriage between a man and a woman. A a, a marriage where there's a, a woman in the home and a mother in the home. A godly lady in the home. That's the biblical standard. But then we see socially also how it benefits. Do you realize that in social experiments and studies they found that women have a calming effect on men and families and society? Where there is the absence of women, men tend to live more like a pack of animals. I'm sorry, guys. They don't eat well. They don't clean up after themselves. They get together and they fight and they curse and they carouse about and they do all sorts of things. And it has been shown in sociological studies that women have a great calming and productive effect on the home and on society and actually I I figured I'd get an amen out of that but I figured it'd be from the ladies but anyway women and motherhood is good for society and it's been shown even that women help men to raise their, their own ambitions and their own productivity in a positive way And so women and mothers, we honor you today. You help us to be better. What I want you to see this morning is a godly wife and mother out of the Old Testament. You'll notice that her story begins with great grief and pain. But, but she doesn't simply wallow around in that, in that grief and pain. But what does she do with it? She, she takes her burden before the Lord and she casts it on the Lord. And she trusts God. And God answers her prayer. And when God intervened in her behalf, she committed her son to the Lord, trained him, and ended up impacting a nation. And so we learn today the impact that a a godly mother can have. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning is a woman exposed to trials and tribulations. First of all, I I want you to notice Samuel's humble beginnings. Look look at how his father is introduced there in verse 2. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. The name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now folks, here's a godly family. They're certainly not perfect. There's there's polygamy in the home. It's believed that the reason for this polygamy is that Hannah was barren. And so in the culture of the time, when a woman was barren, often there would come into the home a second wife who could bear children so that the family name could continue. But folks, this didn't make it right. 
I want you to notice what God's standard for marriage in the home was. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, we read a very important passage. Verse 18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, uh, he, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, cleave, literally in the Hebrew, be glued to his wife, that symbol of permanence, be glued to his wife and they'll become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's God's standard. In every situation of polygamy that we see in the Old Testament, we also see that the families suffer. And folks, to this day, the world is still facing the consequences of polygamy. Ishmael and Isaac are still going at it. They're descendants, the, the Arabs and the Jews. So every day when you click on your news and see the Middle East conflict being portrayed, you're seeing the consequence of sin being played out before our eyes. But nonetheless, while we do not see a perfect family here, they are indeed a godly family. Parents, you don't have to have wealth and power and prestige to raise kids to impact the world. Here's a simple, humble family. But we're also told how Hannah was exposed to trial and tribulation because you see the Bible says here that she was barren. And what a devastating verdict that would have been in ancient times. You see, to the ancient Hebrew women, they associated barrenness with, with being a sign that God was judging them in some way and God was withholding His blessing from their lives. Now that was not the case at all with Hannah. She's a woman of faith and dedication and devotion. But nonetheless, she would have viewed herself as being judged by God. And she would have viewed herself probably as being somewhat less of a woman. Now, Complicating this even more was her rival named Penina. Penina would taunt and tease Hannah. You know, it can be said the way people treat one another, oftentimes out of a spirit of jealousy or competition. Penina should have realized that the only way she had God's favor on her life, the only, re the only reason she had children and God's blessing is because it was just that. It was God's blessing. James 1.18 reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And so instead of teasing and taunting her rival and making fun of Hannah because Hannah had no children, she should have rather been down on her knees thanking God that God had shown favor to her and that she had children. Well, notice how Hannah's 
problem affected her. The end of verse 7 says that she would end up weeping and having no appetite. That's how severe her sorrow was. Ladies, what a sad scenario this is. Going to the temple. Of course, the temple back then was still that temporary structure. But but going to the temple to worship and make sacrifice each year was supposed to be a time of celebration. In Israel, they would have these different feasts and festivals. And the people would gather together and they would offer their sacrifices to God in honor of His forgiveness and His blessings on them. And they would celebrate how God had uh, delivered them out of bondage in Egypt and and led them into the promised land. And, And so these were great times. But you know, great times are not great times for everybody. While some are celebrating, some find it very difficult to celebrate. I think Mother's Day is a perfect example of this because some of you this morning uh, to date have been unable to have children. It's your heart's desire to have a child. And you've prayed and you've waited and you've prayed and you've waited and maybe you've even gone to some other measures and yet to date you have no child. And so every year we come around to Mother's Day and all the other mothers and grandmothers are celebrating and and you're heartbroken. I recognize that. Some of you have had miscarriages and lost children. You can't see them now. You're looking forward to that day when you get to heaven and you'll be able to see them. While you probably don't have somebody like a Penina teasing you over it, nonetheless you may have somebody like an Elkanah. Look at what Elkanah says in verse 8. He says, Hannah, what's wrong? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Now, ladies, I guess you could say this is a clueless male at this point, right? Amen. He just doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Now, folks, don't, don't be angry at people like Elkanah. You know, as a pastor, I stand in a, a I, I go through a lot of funeral home lines. And, and people who mean very well. Have you ever heard some of the comments people can make? Don't be angry at them. They mean well. Sometimes we just kind of stumble over ourselves and stumble over our words trying to get the right thought out and the right words out. And we want to encourage somebody and edify them. And the words that come out, sometimes we even think after we say, why did I say that? Don't be mad at the Elkanahs. He's just doing the best he knows how to, trying to encourage his wife. If you find yourself this morning in Hannah's shoes, I want to encourage you about something this morning. I don't know if this will help right now, but over time, hopefully the truth of God's Word will sink in and make a difference. Hannah felt like she was less of a woman, less of a person because of her, her barrenness. You see, she, she, she had less of a sense of, of self-worth because of her barrenness. But ladies, I want to remind you of what the Bible says in Genesis 1. Our value comes from the fact that we are created in the image of God. 
And if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, not only do you have the distinction of being created in the image of God, but you are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and gone astray and the wages of sin is death. But the Bible says even while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8 says. Ladies, that's where we get our sense of self-worth. It is from the fact that men and women, everybody, we're made in the image of God and we're redeemed through the blood of Christ. Our looks, our wealth, our position in life is not what determines your intrinsic worth. I'm sure that's a lesson that Hannah needed. Also, I want you to see that there was a purpose in the delay. God had his reasons for withholding a child from Hannah. You can see the hand of God in delaying uh, Hannah's childbearing years because through the delay, God was working in her heart and Hannah ended up making a commitment that ended up being a blessing to God's people for centuries. And so God had a purpose in this problem that was greater than anything Hannah could have seen at the moment. Sometimes people come to me and they'll say, you know what? I've been praying about something and, and God must be angry at me. God must be judging me because I, this, this prayer is just not being answered. There, there, there must be something in my life and I'll stop and I'll say, okay, you know, that, that's certainly a possibility. We need to examine that. So is there some rebellion in your heart? Is there some disobedience is there some sin that you've not repented of and and God's been at work on your heart and trying to get your attention about that and to date you've been resisting him and they might say you know what no I, I honestly can't think of anything and then I'll say well you need to consider you know God always answers prayers but sometimes it's not yet sometimes it's a no answer that's still an answer Sometimes it's a not yet because God has some kind of larger purpose in mind and we're praying for something today and, and we may not actually see it come to pass uh, years and years from now because God has a purpose in all that. And that's what he was doing here with Hannah. Folks, nobody wants heartaches. Nobody wants problems. Nobody wants trials and tribulations. I understand that. But you know what? Trials and tribulations are certainly an invitation for you and me to be on our face before God examining our lives to see if maybe there is something there God is trying to teach us. Problems are an invitation to grow in intimacy with God. That's exactly what Hannah does. Second thing I want you to notice this morning, beginning in verse 9, a woman offering prayer and devotion. Hannah was a very wise and a mature lady. She took her problem to God. Now Hannah stands in stark contrast to one of the judges that we've looked at recently in the book of Judges. A, a woman by the name of Deborah. You'll remember Deborah was a, a great military leader and a judge. Uh, Deborah was a very powerful and a very gifted woman. Now by way of contrast, Hannah's a very simple, humble woman. 
But folks, do you realize that Hannah affected the life of her nation far more than Deborah ever did? Look at the big picture. Look at the long-term benefits. Through her prayer, Hannah moved the very hand of God. God gave her a son who began calling the nation back out, out of the darkness that it was in during the period of the judges. Where did it begin? It all began with a woman who had a heart of prayer and devotion. Here was a woman who would have been considered maybe the least of the least, but she was a mighty woman of prayer. Ladies, any of you, can be a mighty woman of prayer and devotion if you set your heart to be that. And I'm reminded of of how prayer does move the hand of God. I think of James in James 5 where James says, Elijah was a man of like passions just as us. And yet during those days of apostasy, during the days of Ahab and Jezebel, uh, God used raised up Elijah. Elijah prayed and the Bible says the heavens did not give their rain for a space of three years and there was a, a drought and a famine on the land. And then Elijah prayed again and God opened the heavens. Prayer touches the heart of God. 1 John 5 says, When we ask for anything according to God's will, we can know that He hears us. And if He hears us, we can know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. That's why Jesus said we need to ask and keep on asking and and seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. And why Jesus said in Luke 18.1 that men are to always pray and not to faint because sometimes fainting or giving up is the sign of we've not prayed. Mothers, be be a prayer warrior. Have a heart of devotion. Now folks, looking again at Hannah, we we know that sometimes the child that we do not have motivates our prayers. But you know what? Also sometimes it's the children that we do have that motivate our prayers. Can I get a witness? I tell you what, nobody can break a mama's heart or a daddy's heart quite like our kids. I want you to notice what Hannah is doing in prayer. She's dedicating her son to the Lord. She she doesn't even have a son yet, but, but she's already giving him back to God. Moms, I want to challenge you today to do that with your kids. One of the greatest lessons we need to learn as parents is that we do not ultimately own our children. We raise them. We've been given a a very important stewardship to try to instill the right values in them and the Word of God in them. But but ultimately, we cannot determine what they do in life. We need to understand God's got a plan for every life. We can't always plan out somebody else's life, though we would often like to. Sometimes parents want to forecast everything about their child's future. Again, we can't do that. Teach them at home. Be the right model. But then what what do we have to do? We have to place them in God's hands. 
We have to be willing to give them back to God and say, God, thank you for this son. Thank you for this daughter. Thank you for these children that you've blessed me with. But God, I, I realize that the time I have with them, the short time that I have with them is a very important stewardship from you. And God, they're yours. I give them back to you. I've done the best I can. I've done all I can. I've prayed for them. I, I've tried to show them the right way. But God, they're yours. Folks, that's exactly what Hannah's doing. Moms, have you done that with your children? Have you committed them to God in prayer? You see, if you do that, it's going to make a difference in how you raise them. You're going to raise them to be ultimately accountable to God. I want you to notice something great in verse 18. After committing this whole problem over to God in prayer... Look at verse 18. Hannah, look, look at what he says about her. Uh, she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Hannah was able to go in peace. She was able to eat. She was no longer burdened with this problem. It was now a problem that was in God's hands. Now I think Hannah had every confidence that God was going to hear her prayer and answer her prayer. Folks, we don't need to be praying that our children will be rich and famous and have all the luxuries of life. You know what we need to be praying? That our children would live out God's purposes for their lives. And when we can do that, we can have a confidence that that is the kind of praying that God honors. There is no doubt in my life I've shared this story with you before. There is no doubt in my life that I am saved today and in the ministry today because of the prayers of my maternal grandmother. She was a godly lady. She loved prayer. She loved the Word of God. She loved the church and serving in the church. She loved believers. She loved preaching and Boy, she, you'd go to see her and she'd have some preacher on the radio and she'd, be lit, she'd want to sit down and, and talk about that message that she was listening to. And, and Scott, what do you think about this? And oh, isn't it so exciting what we're seeing going on in the world? How it looks like Jesus might be coming back any day. And she'd go, oh, she just loved the things of God. She had six children. My mom was the second oldest. They told me this. My mom told me this after I was called into the ministry. She never told me this before. She said, I've got something I need you you to hear me out on. And she told me when grandmother was pregnant, not with the first child, not with the third child, not with the fourth child, not with the fifth, not with the sixth, but with the second child. When she found out she was pregnant with her second child, Immediately she began bathing that pregnancy in prayer and saying, Oh God, would you please let this baby be a boy and will you please call him to preach the gospel? My mom was born. And ladies back in that day sure weren't preachers and pastors. And so my grandmother was discouraged and disappointed and she just thought, well, you know what? For some reason, God just chose not to answer that prayer. 
God answered that prayer. He just delayed it a generation. We can be assured that when we pray for our children to be used for God's purposes, God hears those prayers. A third thing I want you to see this morning. A woman experiencing God's grace and provision, beginning there in verse 19. Notice what happens. If you believe in a God who answers prayers and cares about our lives, folks, it's no surprise what happens next. We see God's grace and provision show up. Hannah has a son. She names him Samuel, which means asked of the Lord. God has honored her request. God in His grace has provided for her. But I don't want you to just see God's provision. I also want you to see a mother's promise. She does two things. She raises this boy as though he's God. She raises him as though he is God because she recognizes indeed she, uh, he is. Again, moms, is that what you do? That child's not yours to keep. Are you raising them to learn and do the will of God? Are you showing by your own life that we're to live as servants of God? And then you'll notice when it came time, Hannah gave her son over to God. Now, uh, for Samuel, he was weaned probably at three years of age. That's when the ancient Hebrew women weaned their children, about three years of age. And so for three years, she didn't go back up to Shiloh with Elkanah because she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in this boy and I'm going to wean him. When I wean him, I'm going to take him up there to the temple and, and I'm going to turn him over to God. And Elkanah said, well, you do what's, what you think's best. And that's exactly what she did. When he was three, when she weaned him, she took him up to the temple, gave him to Eli, the priest, and gave him over to God. Now, folks, don't bring your children to me. <laughs> I'm not raising them, okay? You keep them. <laughs> but she brought Samuel to the house of God. And again, what's she recognizing? Okay, God, now they're yours. They're yours. He's yours now. A number of years ago, I mentioned to you one of my best friends growing up. And Paul Munn and Mike Munn will know exactly who I'm talking about. We were all in church together in Charlotte. Uh, this family that I was very close to, they had three boys, three sons. And boy, they were, they were all boys. They were rounders. I mean, they didn't get in trouble. That's not what I'm implying. They were just rounders. They loved motorcycles and go-karts and fast cars. and They were always getting into stuff. And uh, they'd take everything apart and try to put it back together. When Eddie was a little boy, his, uh, his parents, because he liked to work on everything, they gave, as a little toddler, they gave him... A uh, little rubber screwdriver. And he threw that back at his mom and said, I don't want no rubber screwdriver. I want a real screwdriver. <laughs> well, they grew up working on fast cars and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, Eddie ended up back in the days when DEI was winning all the restrictor plate races. Back, what, 10, 12 years ago? In Daytona and Talladega, you could count on a DEI car to win the race. He was one of the engineers at DEI in the engine shop 
building and designing those restrictor plate engines. He told me, Scott, I, I love building those restrictor plate engines. I said, well, Eddie, you must be good at it. You're winning all the races. But as I say, they were, boy, they were into all kinds of stuff. We had a go-kart track in their backyard and time trials, and we'd weave in and out behind trees and slide it around, all kinds of stuff, and motorcycles and all that. And, and, and it just, it worried Floretta to death about those boys. She wondered, she said every day when they walked out of the door, she wondered if any of them would come back home. She worried herself sick. And she said, Scott, I, I finally got to a point. I said, God, my, you know, my boys are saved. I'm fortunate in that. But boy, they do like to live life wide open. And every time they go out the door, I worry myself sick. God, I can't do this anymore. They are yours. If you choose to take one of them home today... He's yours anyway, God. I, I just can't deal with this anymore. She said, Scott, there was that peace that passes all understanding that came over me. And never again did I worry about my boys. Amen. She experienced God's grace and provision. I wonder if I'm speaking to a mom this morning. Maybe you need to come to this altar this morning in some kind of public way. And say, God, you know, there are some issues in my life that aren't right. I'm not being the best example for my boys and girls. Maybe there's some things in your heart God's tugging at. You know you need to get right with God. Don't delay. Folks, your children aren't worth delaying. Get it right. It's no guarantee that that will rub off on them. But at least you can stand before God one day and know that you, you did everything before God you could. Secondly, I might be talking to a mom here this morning. And you know you don't have a relationship with Christ. You need to begin the journey of faith this morning of following Jesus I'm going to ask you in just a moment to step out of the pew where you are and come down the aisle closest to you and say, Pastor, can you talk to me about what it means to be a follower of Christ? What's it mean to be a Christian? You see, just going to church and being a member of a church doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Have you been born again? Has the Spirit of God done a work of redemption on your heart? Thirdly, moms, maybe you want to be at this altar this morning. Some dads, maybe you want to be with them. Maybe there are some specific burdens you have over your kids and you want to be down here praying for. Finally, there might be a, a mom here who would come forward and say, Pastor, I need a church home. I've been trying to go this alone and it doesn't work. You see, we're not supposed to go it alone. You need a church family.